Welcome to the 1823 podcast from Liverpool John Moores University. In this episode, we're going to talk about the journey to Silverstone, where our former student team is hoping to race the university's first electric racing car. Hi, I'm Christian Matthews. I'm a subject head here in the Faculty of Engineering and Technology, and I'm the faculty advisor for the Formula student team here, or e-racing team. Um, we're recording today in the engineering workshops in the Formula student lab. And I'm really pleased to have with me Cameron Reedy and Rianne Griffith, um, who are two current and former members of the Formula student team. And we're gonna talk about the journey to Silverstone. So Cameron, do you want to just introduce yourself quickly? Yeah, yeah, so I'm Cameron Reedy. I'm head of the LGMU e-racing team. Uh, and I'm a master's, well, I've just finished my master's at John Moores. And Rianne? Hi, I'm Rianne Griffith and I am the ex-team manager of the Formula Student Team. Um, we were just LJMU racing then, we didn't have an electric motor. And I'm now a mechanical engineer at Small Robot Company. Great. So let's, let's start out by just talking a bit generally about what, what Formula Student is. Okay, so, um, and what's going to be happening in Silverstone in July. So Rianne, do you want to tell us from your perspective sort of what, what the Formula Student competition was about when you were doing it? Yeah, um, so initially when I came to the university, Formula Student was an extracurricular activity. It was something that I could get involved with, apply what I learned in my degree and get hands-on and sort of make me stand out when I left university. But quite quickly, it became a little bit more than that. Um, it becomes sort of like your passion and you get really, really um, excited and involved with designing, building and testing this race car that hopefully, if all goes well, um, throughout the year, you can take to Silverstone and um, possibly other competitions around the world. Okay, awesome. So Cameron, tell us more about the sort of size and shape of cars that we're going to see at Silverstone. Yeah, uh, so the cars at Silverstone are kind of designed to a very specific set of rules. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, I think about a meter wide and a couple meters long, um, probably less than that in length. And yeah, they're very small and compact, kind of formula style, open wheel cars, some with aero devices, some without. And yeah, there's a mix of powertrains as well, the conventional internal combustion engine, EV. Um, and I think there's a maybe a hydrogen, a couple of hydrogens and hybrid ones, I'm not too sure. Okay, so going back to your time as team uh, leader for the former student team, Rianne, what sort of engine did you um, install in the car? So um, 2015 was when I was a team leader and we had uh, the Honda CBR 600 engine. So an internal combustion engine taken from a motorbike that we would modify, design the chassis around and then install into the, um, the single seat race car. I think when I was at Silverstone, the majority of teams were still using internal combustion engines. There was a handful of electrified cars, um, but I don't think there were any sort of hybrids or I know there's even autonomous. Yeah, there's cars an autonomous now series well. now, yeah. 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 So with, with the um, internal combustion engine and what were the kind of the main challenges to using that type of, type of propulsion system? Um, so reliability was a big thing that we um, would sort of suffer with. What we would do was take an engine, uh, a used engine with hours already on it, um, and then we would get it back here, 
and sort of rebuild it. Um, we're not engine rebuilders. So that's the first challenge that we would have to face. You know, we'd have to learn how to strip an engine and um, sort of refurbish it, replace all the seals, that sort of thing. Um, and then also we would need to design the auxiliary systems around it. So we would have to design an air intake system and an exhaust system that is completely different from the motorbike that the engines come out of. So designing all these bespoke systems around a combustion engine was really, really tricky. And we would often suffer with sort of like, yes, we'd have good power, but not good reliability or that sort of a problem. Sure. So those, those sort of engines are real complicated, right? Loads of moving parts. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I can't tell you the number off the top of my head, but, you know, hundreds of moving parts. And I know that's sort, sort of different to the um, electric motor. Um, where you might get a lot less moving parts, but we, we would have to deal with high temperatures, um, sort of lots of vibration and like seals failing and that sort of thing. And so we would really have to make sure that the engine was as reliable as it could be and tested, but not too tested, ready for the competition so that it did get over the line. So we're going we're gonna to move on in a bit and talk about why LJMU's chosen to build an electric car and the motivation behind that. But just to contrast what Rihanna just shared with us about the, the combustion car, tell us a bit more about the electric propulsion system. Yeah, um, so it's much less kind of hands-on in our respective, because it's basically you have a quite a large battery, um, a motor controller and a motor, instead of what would have been, I guess, an engine and a ECU. Yeah. yeah. So whereas the engine is just like one thing, the battery and the motor kind of are the engine, but as two parts. Um, and the motor controller is kind of the brain between the motor and the powertrain system. Uh, sorry, the motor and the battery, which is an accumulator. Um, yeah, it's a Yasa 750, which puts out a peak torque of, I believe, 750 Newton meters, which is insane. <laughs> um, a, potentially a bit overkill, but yeah. Okay, so they're the same types of motors that, that go in the sort of wheel hub of supercars these days. I know that McLaren have got something similar to that in the, in the front yeah. hubs of some of their cars. So. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's a type that's kind of used in yeah. a range of supercars. Right. So this isn't a washing machine motor <laughs> salvaged from the top. Um, definitely not, no. no. <laughs> no. And, and so you talked about the, the battery and the, the motor being almost like one, mm -hmm. one thing. So yeah. in some ways, though, for, for our listeners, they might think of the battery as being a bit more like the fuel tank on a car. So, Rianne, how, how, how big was the fuel tank on, on the car? How much fuel could it hold? Um, um, so what's really handy is there is a limit on how, you can, how much fuel you can hold. But we had, I think, a five-litre fuel tank over the top of my head. And, you know, we would have to sort of manufacture a tank that fitted that in and it, we'd make it out of aluminium and we'd have to get it welded here on site. And there was always a lot of hassle with whether it's going to be leaking and are we going to have enough fuel at the end of the competition? Because if you've got too little fuel, then you lose points and that sort of thing. So it's, a, it's I guess it's in some ways com more complicated than a battery, but there's no, um, there's no sort of logic that you have to have with it. So then sort of programming um, everything you need to do with the battery and the motor, I imagine, is much more difficult than just welding an <laughs> aluminium tank together. Okay, so I think we can sort of visualise sort of the volume of five litres. So how, how many litres do you reckon your battery would be cameraing in terms of the, uh, the volume of it? I reckon at least, probably at least 20 right. litres, probably more than that. It's pretty big and it's pretty heavy as well. I think about... 60 kilograms yeah um 
yeah, four, um, 400 volts. Um, not too sure on the amp output, but yeah, it is very. <laughs> so 60, 60 kilos. So like, I guess five liters of fuel is going to, going to, going to weigh like what? Four kilos. Yeah. Yeah. Plus four and half kilos. Plus the aluminium. Yeah. It's quite a big difference there. Yeah. Okay. It so was, sorry, sorry, it was always kind of an afterthought for us as well. <laughs> like we would always like think, where are we going to fit the fuel tank? <laughs> yeah. So, and that's not really something you can afford to do with a battery. Yeah. It's like when you were saying how you fitted the chassis around the engine, mm. it's kind of, Obviously, the motor the motor's pretty small, probably like mm, I don't know, thirty centimeters wide by like fifty centimeters like long. Yeah. So it's really small and like compact, but the battery is like obviously huge. Yeah. Kind of like the size of an engine. So I think we kind of we fitted the rear end around the motor, but the battery is definitely something you kind of have to integrate before you kind of yeah or whilst you're designing your chassis yeah yeah but yeah. So, so that's interesting. So, from your perspective, it kind of requires a whole different design ethos. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay, so, so let's just talk a little bit before we move on. Let's talk a little bit more about the event itself. So, when you get to Silverstone, Rianne, from your perspective, what, what's, what's, what's the event about? What, what different things do you are you expected to do there? What, what's the order of priority, right? And, and what happens next? Um, so, the event is made up of static and dynamic competitions or events. Sorry. Um, and we compete in all of them. When you arrive, there's it's a bit of a um, mad panic sometimes, if depending on how prepared you've been, but you've got to set up your pits. It's part of your competition. You've got to have a really smart looking pit where you do all your presentations from. And all the judges, they come around and they look at that and they look at your car. So that's the first thing that you want to get um, slick. And you want to make sure that you've got all your spares ready for any failures that you have out on the, um, on the track. And then it's not actually wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing. So there's an acceleration event, a um, a sprint event, and an endurance event. And I'm just trying to think of what the figure of eight is called. The skid pad. The skid pad, yeah. yeah. So they're all, they're all events that are designed to test your car in a slightly different way. The endurance event is the big one. It's when you've got to do, I think, at least 20 laps. Um, I can't remember the distance now. Maybe you do, Callum. Um, I think it's about a kilometre a lap. Yeah, so um, about 20 kilometers. And that's what you're really trying to make sure your car is ready for and your driver's ready for it. And that's the biggest amount of points that you can get for the competition. So you've got to sort of prepare for a load of little different things, but that's the, the biggie. Okay, so so 20 kilometers, right? It's not very far. Sounds easy, is it? <laughs> uh, no, it's not. It's not easy. I'm not a driver, so I can't tell you physically whether it's easy or not. But, you know, we had... Um, I think before 2015, the last time we completed those 20 kilometers without a failure was 2012, I think so. And that was in Spain. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'd gone a long time without actually completing this event. And when you think, well, 20 kilometers, you've got all year to prepare for that. But so much goes wrong along the way. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was really, it was really satisfying to actually complete that without any hiccups in 2015. Yeah, so I, I remember being there at 2015 and the, the, the sense of relief when the car sort of finished that endurance event because it, it took us from a position where we kind of, we, we'd had a couple of what I'll call lucky years in the early days where we, we completed endurance events almost sort of effortlessly, it seemed. And then suddenly we had this run of bad luck and, and then suddenly it kind of became increasingly difficult to imagine what it would take to complete. So, you know, there's that, there's that resilience thing there, isn't there, kind of? as you say, preparing all year and then having mm. the kind of the, the 
pain and, and kind of tragedy of a well, first world problems, right? But <laughs> the, the tragedy of a non-completion in the in the events. So from your perspective, Cameron, mm-hmm. in terms of preparing for the event, sort of how many different balls have you trying to juggle at the moment? How many plates have you got spinning <laughs> the moment? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one because you've got to you've got to prioritize actually getting to the event with the car. Have you got you also got to kind of consider in your documentation stuff, so your design report, your costing, um, and yeah, you kind of want to get to competition, so have a car, but you don't want to kind of just be a bit of a yeah wet wipe of competition and not do very well. Um, but the main thing is definitely like getting through scrutineering with the kind of electrical side of things. It's kind of an unknown to most mechanical engineers, and so there's a massive like kind of obviously health and safety kind of risk that is put on to the electrical teams um so i think scrutineering is like our kind of main kind of achievement to get through um and kind of the endurance event is kind of an afterthought because i think we've slightly realized technology's moved on a bit since we spec'd our battery um and i think we've worked out it's going to be tight getting to the end of endurance that's assuming nothing goes wrong along the way um but yeah there's an awful lot to be doing um obviously like you're saying like kind of preparing to fail so um like having all your spare parts like spare wishbones all your nuts and bolts like kind of worked out what you have on the car and then kind of making a spare list of all that um yeah literally everything like nuts and bolts brake pads spare consumables like oil um kind of motor oil um coolant and yeah brake fluid and whatnot mm. so but it's kind of from your perspective because you guys have been to competition for like a few years yeah we haven't our team hasn't been to competition kind of ever there's only two guys in our kind of team who went to a class two okay. in 2018 so it's kind of it's kind of what you don't know is like the scariest part because yeah. you'll you'll be working along throughout the year and somebody will tell you something or, or you'll learn something from like doing and you're like, oh my God, I didn't know that until then. Yeah. And it's like, how much more don't I know? Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of the main kind of hard part. Of okay, us. so for you, the, the biggest challenge in some ways is the, it, is the uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can understand that. And, and kind of getting back to the competition and all of the logistics that goes into it, it's kind of, it's interesting because from your perspective as a, a student who's about to graduate from an engineering degree, I guess, this is in some ways a real contrast to the kind of academic side of student life, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's something you're not kind of taught at university, either just by living or on your course. It's something, a completely different skill you kind of need to work out how to kind of build upon. It's kind of just being very organized, but on steroids yeah. <laughs> um, and like working kind of every everything out of the week well yeah kind of the week really whilst you're at competition and trying to think of every single scenario um and that's kind of hard to do when you've not been <laughs> personally yeah so it turns out logistics is really hard though right i think most of the yes. world discovering yeah. that at the moment and, <laughs> yeah and this is no no difference okay let's let's move on and talk a little bit more about why it was that ljmu racing ljmu e-racing taken the decision to move from the internal combustion engine to to an electric motor so i, I to the extent that i did any prep for this right mm-hmm. I, I had a little look on um on on some of the kind of information sources available and 
one of the things that kind of jumped out at me is that if you look at the uh, the GB new car registrations for Q3 of 2021, there was a 44% increase in the number of uh, battery electric vehicles that were um, registered. And that compared to the same quarter in the previous year, um, you saw a fall of 41% in the number of petrol cars being registered and 66% in the number of diesel cars being registered. So it turns, turns out this might have been the right decision. <laughs> what do you think, Cameron? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely I'm an advocate for IC in the terms of I'm a motorsport fan and I love it. However, I'm, I'm not a moron. <laughs> I, I know kind of there needs to be a change from kind of conventional engines to either kind of, I suppose at the moment, hybrid than EV or hydrogen. Um, and it's definitely something as an engineer, we're going to have to kind of learn to work with. Because I think before with an ICE, it was kind of, you wouldn't really think too much of electrical stuff. Well, I, I personally wouldn't. Um, but with this, having the EV team, you're very aware of all the electrical systems and not maybe not so much how they work, but kind of have a general idea and kind of be very conscious of like the health and safety stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's more than just like, don't put your finger in a socket. <laughs> um, it's, yeah it's there's a whole lot of kind of things to be aware of um but yeah and it's also important to like as an engineer kind of keep on top of the curve so it was you know we could have stayed as an ICE team until like now-ish at least we've got kind of the previous five years of experience of working with kind of electrical systems and kind of homologating a car into an EV car yeah. and not just an ICE yeah so from your perspective, Ryan, obviously, you, you the 2015 uh, year when you led the team, you started in the internal combustion engine, but kind of lo looking back or looking forward now, um, what, what do you think about the decision to move to an electric car? car? Um, I think it makes sense. I, me I remember when I was here at 2015, if you'd have suggested that to me, I'd have been like, whoa. <laughs> um, I think, you know, if we stick with what we've got, we might actually... Uh, complete the event this year but at some point you do have to make that step and as you mentioned it's the way that the industry is going um it's it's the future for automotive um and like even myself now i get in my you know like diesel estate and think mm, should i really be driving this like starting to look into how can i afford an electric vehicle so i think as an engineer having having that skill set like you said understanding the health and safety regulations around electric electrification and understanding all of the technologies and the interactions and stuff it's something that isn't necessarily what a pure mechanical engineer knows but it's the future so we're going to need to know it so i do agree with you even now like in my current role some of the i'm still learning so much about the electronics and all of the communications and stuff so it would have been handy. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's maybe the chat one of the challenges that, that students like yourself, Cameron, and you know, face nowadays graduating from engineering degrees is we're going into a world where we expect increasingly high levels of integration between mechanical systems, electrical, electronic systems and computers. And I don't think a world where um, those kind of things aren't closely interlinked is really foreseeable now, is it? I mean, you're you know, I'm working for the small robotics company. I guess that kind of embodies that kind of fusion of technology, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like our mechanical engineering team is really small compared to our sort of software and electronics team because sort of 50% of the system is them. 
um, sorry, probably 75% of the system is them, whereas we're only sort of 25%. We're only, we're just what you see really. And the sort of the hard, the um, tangible sort of mechanical systems, but it's like going forward, you think that it should sort of be multidisciplinary and everybody has an appreciation for each um, discipline. Yeah. In terms of creating transferable skills for graduates, I think from my perspective, um, as a subject head here at LJMU, you know, it makes real sense for us to be focusing on the, the future technologies that you'll encounter more looking forward into your career, Cameron, and you're still just, just on the cusp of graduating, aren't you? So, you know, if we look at the, the trends, I think that having a, having experience working with these kind of high high voltage electrical systems <laughs> is probably a good call. So, I mean, just, just for the benefit of our listeners then, Let's talk a little bit about efficiency. So in terms of the, the electric motor that you've got there, um, I know from the, the, the data sheets that we've got that we're looking at efficiencies in terms of being able to transfer the electrical power from the battery, which is its kind of fuel tank, isn't it? Yeah. Into mechanical um, energy is somewhere around about 90%. Is that true? Yeah, as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah. There will obviously be some... Obviously, it's no different during combustion engine you have the mechanical losses at some point course, but yeah. you definitely yeah converting what would be petrol into power is definitely much more efficient yeah yeah so I, th- I think the rule of thumb that we sometimes use is that you know after after the engine or after the after the motor in this case we'd be looking at kind of best case scenario maybe even 75 percent efficient so a sort of 90 odd percent efficiency multiplied by 70 odd percent yeah, efficiency yeah. so we're probably somewhere in the region of 65 to 70 percent mm-hmm. so what well, let's contrast with um, a, an internal combustion engine so um for a, for a petrol engine i think it would be true to say that you know a, a typical figure would be somewhere between 35 and 37 percent is that right Sam? yeah i yeah. was thinking mid 30s mid 30s so yeah <laughs> yeah well yeah and and so you know that 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 means that for every um you know for every um, sort of joule of energy in that fuel tank we're only getting uh, less than a third of that or maybe around about a third of that back out and then and then we multiply that by three quarters yeah. so <laughs> it's, it's it's worse again so there's a real efficiency thing here isn't there um but what what do you think the practical challenges of electric electric vehicles are still at the moment what have you got any perspective on this we um i would say safety and I can't think of the word, but it's getting everyone on board. I think that's a concern. Like I speak to sort of colleagues and friends about electric cars and they all say, oh yeah, but the price of electricity is going up. So why would I get an electric car? And it's like, that's thinking very top level. You've got to think of a bigger picture. Your electricity could come from renewable sources in the future. It could be cheaper, etc. Like putting fuel into your combustion engine, you're always creating this debt. We're using something that's not sustainable. So I think that's that, getting people's mindset on board. And there's lots of sort of fear, I think, as well around um, electrification of um, vehicles. It's obviously the sort of high voltages, but there's also um, some of the, I I was at primary school this morning and some of the kids were asking me about electric cars and they were saying, but what if you can't hear them and they come around the corner yeah. and then they sort of run you down because you don't know they're there. And it's that sort of thing. And it's thinking about all of all of those um, ancillary safety systems that you need to make sure that they're as safe or if not safer than what we have already. Yeah. What about you, Cameron? What, what do you think the biggest challenges are around electric cars coming up? Is it, uh-huh. is it public perception? Is there, what the technical, what the technical challenges? Yeah, uh, technical wise, I'd say, um, probably kind of condensing the batteries because yeah. at the moment they're 
they're pretty heavy, um, to say the least. Um, I'm not sure how much a Tesla weighs with its batteries, but I think I'm right in saying it's not too light no. or compared to a, a combustion engine at least. So yeah, and probably kind of talking about sustainability, like obviously when you kind of get petrol or like you have your petrol, it's gone through lots of processes and come from unsustainable sources. But the problem like EVs probably going to be facing is obviously you're mining a lot of like potentially lithium or nickel yeah. and they're not, they are finite. So it's, it's kind of, it's postponing the problem a little bit, mm -hmm. but it's obviously better than I see at the moment. Um, so I think that's a long-term problem that EV is going to face. Um, and yeah, I think there is, I think people are inherently kind of against change of any sort, sadly. Um, but it's something that just kind of has to be forced yeah. upon people to an extent. Well, we can we can take them along with it on the journey. Can't we? <laughs> I suppose that's that that's sort of maybe maybe part of what you'll be doing as the next generation of engineers, <laughs> convincing people that these are. Uh, I mean, I think we, we could do a whole podcast podcast just on this on this topic. <laughs> yeah. here, isn't it? Is lithium sustainable? Yeah. Will, we, will we see will we see wars in twenty years' time <laughs> over the supply of, of lithium? I mean, a striking uh, statistic is if you look at the energy density of lithium um, ion batteries. Um, current state of the art somewhere in the region of uh, 0.4 megajoules per litre whereas you contrast that with petrol you're looking at more like 35 megajoules per litre so mm -hmm. the energy density is yeah. kind of 70 times higher for petrol which is why you had a 5 litre fuel tank and you've yeah. got a 60 <laughs> yeah. kilo battery um, so these are the challenges that the next generation of engineers are going to have to sort out um, of course, the other problem with a battery is it doesn't get lighter as you as you run run the electricity out. Yeah. <laughs> well, it probably does at a quantum level, but not <laughs> yeah. um, not measurably. Okay, um, let, let's talk a little bit more about personal perspectives then. So, obviously, formed a student, um, it's something that you commit a lot of time and energy and passion to. So, from your perspective, Ryan, you know, maybe a personal perspective on on what you got out of forming a student, you know. Yeah, well, I think the big thing is it does make you more employable um, when you have that sort of thing on your CV, especially if you come across somebody that's also gone through it, then your interview just becomes a chat about former student. And even now, I think I've been out of university five plus years and I was talking about it this morning to school kids and I'm currently going for my CNG and it's included in my application there. So it's something that you just take right through your career and as you mentioned earlier, it gives you all of those sort of um, additional skills and um, the, the skills that aren't just the sort of the maths, the materials, the, um, well, it does give you like project management skills, but it just gives you that extra bit that makes you that well-rounded engineer, I think. And you, Cameron? Yeah, I definitely say, as Rihanna was saying, come interviews for a job is all I talked about in my interview for my job. And I'm could put it down to like probably 70% of the reason why I got this job was because of my experience in the team. You work with a load of people you wouldn't normally work with in a uni kind of course project, um, especially now with electrical engineers. Um, and um, yeah, it's something kind of your course can't teach you how to kind of do all the other things as well as the engineering technicalities. Yeah. Um, kind of, you know, your doing documentation work, which you 
whilst it's kind of similar in that you get a grade at the end, it's much more open-ended to an extent. There's not a defined kind of kind of description of what you have to do. It's very kind of open-ended. Um, and yeah, just working kind of in a kind of larger team, in a structured team as well, um, is something <clears throat> you really don't get at uni. Like once you graduate, kind of most people graduate with a, somewhere between a 2-2 and a 1st. But you've got to kind of separate yourself from them a bit. Yeah. And this is, is a great way of showing you're like determined, you know, sometimes set those goals or lead people. Or if nothing else, it's just a great way of kind of expanding your technical skill sets, depending on what you want to do on the team. That's great. Really, really, really good account of that. You can hear some, uh, some proper workshop noises <laughs> in the background there. So uh, we're not just in a studio adding sound effects. Um, so I think from, from my perspective, obviously, I've been involved in the form of the student team since 2010 now, I think. And um, I think all of the things that you've just, you've just outlined kind of resonate with me in terms of having spoken to students who are involved and students who have kind of graduated and come back to visit occasionally, which is nice. And all of those, all of those transferable skills. So, you know, from our perspective, that's why we keep it as a kind of um, an extracurricular activity. And I think that that has the benefit that it allows students who want to engage in it as something that they're able to do on an extracurricular basis can. Yeah. And add it to the CV as that kind of d differentiator. So, yeah. yeah. I think Rianne was saying before, like, you put a lot of effort into it. And I know for a fact, I probably put more, at least emotional effort into this than I did my degree. And it's something, because it's so like kind of personal to an extent that like you want to get to competition and see the car run and do well you inherit a lot more of your time and effort into this because I don't know, it's kind of hard to put into words, but like, yeah, you just care a lot <laughs> for it. And it's something, it's just- It becomes it, your life. Yeah, it feels like a real project, although it's kind of is, but it's not industry. Yeah. But it feels like kind of university, but kind of real life. Yeah. yeah I, I think I can understand that. You know, you've got some personal investments in it and it feels yeah. like you're doing it maybe kind of for your own reasons. Yeah. Um, so no, I think that, that makes makes sense. Okay, so let's let's start start to wrap things up then. So Cameron, you you're leading the team to Silverstone July sixth through to tenth, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So people who want to come and support you can go to Silverstone and buy <laughs> yeah. tickets online. Yeah. <laughs> yes. See see whether see how far we get. <laughs> um what what's what what's after, what's next for you after that one? Uh, so I've got a job with a company called Extract. They make transmissions for IndyCar, NASCAR, Le Mans. Uh, so I start that on the 18th of July. Uh, so yeah, pretty much come back on the 11th, tidy up here, graduation on the 14th, and then off to that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, congratulations on on the job. Extract's a you know famous company in that area. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm, I'll be at Silverstone, but I'll also see you at graduation. So well done. Thank you. How about you, Rianne? You small robot company at the moment yeah um so hopefully that continues you know if anyone's listening please invest <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i'm hoping that continues i'm enjoying what i do designing sort of agricultural robots a lot different from what i was doing back at university and when i first graduated but it's going well and i hope it you know keeps me keeps me going keeps me in a job for a long time coming excellent Listen, Cameron, Rianne, thank you very much for your time. It's been great to speak to you both and um, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank you, Christian.